0: God willingly offered his only begotten son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for our sins. So what limit is there of God's great love toward us? There is no limit. God has done everything necessary to bring us into a saving relationship with him. It's Christ who is our judge, but Christ is also our redeemer, who died, was buried, and rose again and is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, not to condemn, but to intercede for us.
1: Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word.
0: Welcome again to Calvary Chapel Lake Villa. What a blessing it is to be with you on this Sunday where we're looking into God's Word Picking up where we left off last week, we're picking up in Romans chapter 14. Going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. I titled this Every Knee Will Bow, or Every Knee Shall Bow, and pulled that title, of course, from the passage itself. Like families, Christians within any fellowship, we're at different levels of maturity. There are babes and toddlers in Christ, we have children and teenagers in Christ, we have the mature and the aged in Christ. In today's study, Paul teaches that even though we're at different levels of maturity or spiritual maturity, we might say, we are to minister to one another as we continue to grow in our own walk and relationship with Jesus Christ. We are to interact with one another. We must remember as we do this that we will all one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And this should help us in how we interact, not judging, but loving others with the love that we ourselves have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. One thing that I have taken personally from uh, this passage and studying this passage, that instead of being more concerned with judging one another, we should be more concerned about interceding for one another, praying for one another. But quite often we get caught up in the judging game as they did in the first century, so it continues all the way into the 21st century. Today we're going to look at a message I titled, Every Knee Shall Bow, from Romans 14, verses 1 through 13. And verses 1 through 4, we're going to see that God is able. In verses 5 through 8, that we are the Lord's. In verses 9 through 13, The judgment seat of Christ. Now, Paul is going to deal with two areas that were issues during the first century church, and that of the area of the food they ate, whether eating meat or non-kosher meat or kosher meat or vegetables only. He's going to deal with the area of eating food. He's also going to deal with the day of the week that they should worship on. These were debatable issues in the early church, but it was more than people arguing about what's the best diet to be on, like either having a vegetarian or a vegan or a keto diet. I looked up diets today, or not today, but this week as I was looking at this, and the Mediterranean diet was number one of a list of 50. I am not on the Mediterranean diet, but it was number one. So I'm thinking, maybe I should be, probably won't be, but, It's not a matter of arguing over the food. What's connected here is an issue of worship, and this is what we need to understand. It was in the mindset of the first century Christian and how I worshiped God was also by the food that I put into my body. It was in the mindset of the first century Christian and the day of the week that I worshiped God they were having debates over these issues because they were seeing it as an expression of worship or worshiping in the right way. And so it wasn't really a dispute about the best diet. Paul, I think, could care less about that. But it was a matter of the diet that we, the food we take into our bodies, is it worshiping God? And they argued about that. The day of the week that they worshiped, Is it the proper day to worship the Lord on? Is it what scripture has commanded us? They argued about that. And we find as far as the day of the week, the church is still arguing about that in the 21st century. So not a lot has changed. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 4, our first point, and open us up in prayer. The first point being God is able Romans chapter 14, verse 1 says, Receive the one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's? servant. To his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be able to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Father, I pray that you would help us to hear what the Spirit would have for this church this day. We know, Lord, that your word was given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And although Paul may interject his opinion in the pages that we're reading from today, which I believe he does in one point that we've already read. Lord, we know that these came to us from inspiration of your Holy Spirit. So I ask, Lord, today that you would open our hearts to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, to this church. This day we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's a call not to dispute over doubtful things concerning unnecessary things that are really not foundational to our faith. This is what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about the foundational issues of our faith. Maybe, and rightfully so, we can dispute over foundational things like whether the Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the grave or not. That's worth disputing. But whether I eat steak and you eat a carrot, well, sorry for you, but... (laughs) That isn't an issue of disputing. It's a non-essential thing. But remember, for the first century church, they were thinking that this was their worship. The food that they ate and the day that they worshiped on, this is how they expressed themselves as believers. They were wanting to get it right, and they began to dispute over what Paul called the non-essentials. Now, Paul's opinion, and I believe he does give us his opinion here because he says in verse two, that he who is weak eats only vegetables. So we get a little of opinion by Paul. He got into the good ribeye steak every once in a while, perhaps. But this most likely had to do with not whether eating meat or vegetables, but the meat markets of their day, especially in Rome. He's writing to the Roman city that had a population remember we looked at this statistically last week or the week before a population they believe of about 1,200,000 people over half of them being slaves and there in the markets many of the meat that was being sold in the market had already been offered to some idol some god and so for some Christians they couldn't see themselves eating meat that had been sacrificed to another god, it just uh, messed with their mind in such a way, it's like I'd rather eat vegetables than to eat a meat that has been offered to Baal or Astra or something like that. So this was what was really at play, at least I believe was at play here. And Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 25 and 26 where he says, eat whatever is sold at the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord in all its fullness. So it's apparent that Paul didn't have a problem with eating kosher meat or non-kosher meat or meat that had been sacrificed to other idols, because he knew that those idols were false gods. They were not true or even eating vegetables, he understood that everything belonged to the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. So Paul did have a problem, though, with the spiritually mature and the spiritually weak judging one another because of their food choices. That's what Paul has identified here in Romans 14. Again, back to 1 Corinthians 8, 11 through 13, it says, because of your knowledge shall a weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brother and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. See, Paul was willing to bend to the scruples of the weak in order that he would not stumble them. And so, Let's put it this way. In fact, this was an example that came from an author from many years ago, Paul E. Little. The name of the book was called How to Give Away Your Faith. And he mentioned uh, things that you can do as believers, like going to a ball game. But he mentioned a particular case where a man, he worshipped baseball. And when he came to faith in Jesus Christ, he gave up baseball And so he said, with this particular brother, I would never invite him to a baseball game because baseball was a god to him. And he had an issue with that. So why make your brother stumble if it's over an issue of meat? Paul said, I would never eat meat again. He would be willing to bend to the scruples of the weak. Now, it doesn't mean that Paul E. Little said that the person that didn't have a problem going to a baseball game never went to a baseball game. He just made sure that if he did go to the game, it wasn't a stumbling block. And we'll deal with that as we come to the end of this passage today. It wasn't a stumbling block for his brother. He goes on to say in verse 4, who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, He will be able to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Now, I've mentioned a number of times from this pulpit, we used to have it in our bulletin, the Greek word doulos, it means slave. And it's often used in the New Testament to describe the lowest of the servants, doulos, slave. An under uh, is one of the definitions of that. But this is not doulos here. This Greek word actually means a house servant, or it could mean a slave as a member of a household. And I think this is important because, in a society, especially like Paul was writing to in Rome, where over half the population were slaves, half the population were slaves to other masters. They had different and various masters, they were not all the slaves of one household. But here, Paul is pointing out that we are all the slaves of one household, the household of Jesus Christ, the house of faith that we have have in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are all under the same household of faith. Therefore, we're not to judge our co-servants or our brothers and sisters in Christ over the non-essentials of our faith. Jesus said in Luke 6.37, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Jesus gave this over-exaggeration of an illustration when he referred to the issue of a brother who had a, a plank, a four-by-four four in his eye, when that brother is concerned about the speck that was in his own eye. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 5, First remove the plank from your own eye, then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Have you ever tried to take somebody who's got something in their eye and uh, you get it out for them? You brush it out or whatever method you might use. I had an eye doctor once because I had a speck, I guess a speck of paint when I was a boy, got on my pupil. I never forget him saying when... Over in Waukegan, Illinois, had to go to the eye doctor. This thing was not coming out. And uh, he tried to wash it out, brush it out. It wasn't going anywhere. And finally, he numbed my eye and he took a needle. And before he poked the needle in that speck to pull it out, he said, if you move your eye, I could blind you for life. Now, just know that as a young boy, my eyes were wide open and not moving at all. I didn't flinch at all. I didn't want to be blind for life. And yet I get this image of the plank eye of a brother saying, let me get that speck out of your eye. It's like, wait a minute, I got this plank. He's like bamming him in the head because he's got this long plank coming out of his eye. You can't do it. It's God who is able to make us stand. And God will make us stand. It's not only that Paul said he is able in verse 4, God will Make the children of faith stand. Remember in Romans 8, 31 through 34. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. God willingly offered his only begotten son Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. So what limit is there of God's great love toward us? There is no limit. God has done everything necessary to Bring us into a saving relationship with him. He has given us also life on this earth, but life eternal. And so who are we to condemn one of our brothers and sisters in Christ? It's Christ who is our judge. But Christ is also our redeemer who died, was buried and rose again and is at the right hand of the father making intercession for us, not to condemn, but to intercede for us. As it says in Hebrews 7, 25, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know, our time would be far better spent interceding for one another rather than condemning one another. We have to remember that as believers in Jesus Christ, it is God who is able to make us stand. Secondly, we discover that we are the Lord's in verses 5 through 8. I'll read the context for us again, picking up in verse 5 of Romans 14. One person esteems one day above another, the other esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats... Eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, and to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Again, another example, he moves on from the food issue, he'll come back to it, but he moves on from the food issue to another non-essential that was being debated during their day, and that is of the day of week, that they should worship. What is the proper day that we should worship the Lord? It's a dispute, as I said, we have the Seventh-day Adventists who believe that worship services should be conducted on the Seventh-day that is, on the Sabbath or on Saturday, instead of on Sunday. Now, we know that the Bible teaches in the Old Testament, in Exodus 28, to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But this was a commandment that God gave to the Jewish people as part of their covenant relationship with him. And as Christians, I do not believe that we are bound by the Sabbath day law. But we also have examples in the New Testament of what the New Testament believers called the Lord's Day. And it's connected with Jesus Christ being resurrected from the grave on the first day of the week. And we discover in the New Testament that believers often came together on the first day of the week, on Sunday, to worship. It's also the same day that the Holy Spirit poured out upon the church on the day of Pentecost there on the day of Pentecost, they were gathered together in that upper room when the Holy Spirit came upon them. But we have the New Testament church gathering together on the first day of the week on Sundays. In their day and age, it would not be a Sunday morning. They had to work. Well, if they were Jewish, they'd be working on Sunday because they took the Sabbath off, which was a Saturday. And so, yeah, they had to work. They would meet in the evenings, most likely after their long work day, and they didn't have... Uh, the kind of work days that perhaps we have today they would work long hours but they would come together to worship and to be uh, together as the body of Christ. so they were disputing over the correctness of the day and again Paul he saw it as a non-essential we find that Paul he would on the Sabbath day he would go to uh, he would go to a tabernacle he would go to The uh, temple. He would go to the riverside to worship on the Sabbath. He would go and meet on the Lord's day, on a Sunday. It was a non-essential as far as the day of the week. He understood, as Psalm 118 24 tells us, this is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Every day is the Lord's day. And so he said, let each be fully convinced in his own mind whether dealing with the food that we eat or do not eat or the day of the week that we worship a believer's individual accountability to the Lord in every area is what is important here he goes on in verse 6 he says he who eats eats to the Lord for he gives God thanks he who does not eat does not eat to the Lord and gives God thanks. None of us lives to himself. No one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So whether worshiping on a Saturday, a Sunday, any other day of the week, whether eating uh, meats that's kosher, non-kosher, been offered to idols, uh, of course, we don't have that issue here in the United States today. At least I hope we don't. Whether eating vegetables or whatever diet you want to be on, we belong to Jesus. Whether we eat or do not eat, we are to give thanks to God. He says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's how we are to conduct ourselves in this life, to do all to the glory of God. Who gets the glory? Sorry about that said that who a little too hard there but we should do all that we do for the glory of god it's not just about the days or the food life or death we belong to jesus in life in death we belong to jesus 1st thessalonians 5 9 and 10 it says for god did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our lord jesus christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, and that's a way of the sleep being used there as death, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him, that we belong to Jesus, whether alive here on this earth or when we go to be with Jesus, we belong to Jesus. 1 Corinthians six twenty: For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We belong to Jesus. And Paul is emphasizing that the Lord should be the goal, the object of the lives of his people. Everything we do is subject to the scrutiny of Christ and to his approval. As believers, we need to recognize that we belong to Jesus and we represent him upon this earth. So how are we to conduct ourselves among one another? Father, I thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. And I pray, Lord, that your word would speak to us today. Perhaps, Lord, we have been guilty of judging. Help us, Lord, to resolve not to put traps or snares or stumbling blocks, but rather, Lord, to resolve to intercede for our brothers and sisters. Lord, knowing that we all belong to the same household of faith, knowing, Lord, that we will all one day stand before you, and knowing, Lord, that you are able to make us stand. And we give you praise this day in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit.